Amen. All right. You may be seated. Thank you. So great to worship with you. So great to sing and praise our God. Isn't he amazing? So awesome, man. I'm so blessed. So great to be with you. It's good to see the church filling up in here. So great. We have some flyers for you for the blessing that are out there, and we have some that are up here, but I just wanted to let you know, last year we had some people that were uh, doing some amazing work with these things and posting them on telephone poles and everything, and we're not allowed to do that. There's actually a city ordinance against that, so we had to go pull them all down, and there was like 300 of them out there that were stuck on. So if you'd do me a favor and not do that, that'd be awesome. Just post them on the, uh, the sites that allow us to do that, different community sites. You can post them on social media or whatever, but uh, keep them off the mailboxes and the telephone poles, various things to the neighborhood. That'd be great. We're trying to build a good relationship with our community around us, and the church that was here before didn't really have that great of a relationship with them. So we're trying to break those walls down. So uh, help us out and love those people and, uh, and share that with everybody, okay? It's so good to be with you. Man, I'll tell you what, my heart is filled and overflowing been a little bit of a crazy different kind of a Sunday. I feel like we're at a, a little bit of a threshold. I do. I just want y'all to know that I have sensed God's just calling and moving, and I believe that the church and the community and the people are about ready to make a change. I'm serious. I'm not talking about a political change. I'm not talking about any of that. So I'm talking about us embracing what God's calling us to and stepping into the arena of His grace and favor and anointing and just step into it, church. I mean, we need to do this. There is an opportunity for us. Like, we have never seen in our lifetime. People are tired of all the garbage that's going on out there. They need Jesus. They're worn out. Let's talk about that today. Matthew 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles because they had not repented of their sins and turned to God. Okay, now I want you to get this setting here. This just went from a woo celebration to uh-oh. But let's stay with it because we're going to change that again. But right now it's really important that we understand the uh-oh. Because as Jesus is standing there, he had been doing ministry in a personal way, touching people's lives, calling people, teaching truth. And they rejected it. And so when we read this, he began to denounce. In other words, God began to pronounce judgment upon specific cities, specific regions, and specific people. It's kind of scary when that happens, just so you know. Listen to it. Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead, for if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. All right, so we're going to just pause here in the middle of this like somber moment because there's something Jesus is trying to teach us. And I want to get to the celebration aspect, but we also need to understand and keep this in our hearts and minds and understand what we're being told and what God is giving us a vision of. 
looking at these things, there's three things I want to bring out of these real fast. This isn't my three points of my message and my action steps. I'm sorry, but you know me better than that. But we'll do this really fast. You ready? Here's number one. God is serious about judgment. God's serious about judgment, folks. God's serious about how we react to the truth. God is very serious about people that do or don't respond to Jesus. Now listen, in the Old Testament, when we read it, we see God's judgment falling all the time. As a matter of fact, a lot of people are scared of the Old Testament because they think that's a God that they're, like, they're afraid of and He's not a loving God at all. I want you to know that God is a very loving God, but He's the same God in the Old Testament as the New. He didn't change. He has not changed His verdict against sin. God has not changed who He is against people who do not follow His ways. We've gotten real sloppy in the modern age because of God's grace that we're living in in the New Testament period. But God's the same God, and I want us all to understand that as we look in God's Word. We see here in the New Testament. Now we've moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Yes, it's prior to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and the falling of the Holy Spirit upon people. But let's hear what he's saying right here as we see in the New Testament. God is just as serious and is giving a clear warning that he holds people accountable and even more so with the message of Jesus Christ. Third thing I want to bring out of that part is his expectations of people who have had the truth revealed to them. There is no one here today, no one online, no one that will hear this message that will not be held accountable for the truth of Jesus Christ. I want you to know you may have been ignorant of Christ before this very moment, but right now you are being held accountable by the creator of the universe that he has declared to the whole world that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. And you must repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, and come to God for relationship with Him and have a life. That is the truth of the gospel. And Jesus is saying, look, I proved myself to you over and over again, and you cities rejected me. Therefore, judgment's coming. Well, I could go off on that pretty good in our country today because Jesus Christ has done many, many, many incredible, amazing things in our nation. The truth of the gospel has been preached here. We have seen God move within the boundaries of our own nation. The great awakenings that took place, they swept across our country. Cities closed all their bars because there were no patrons. Look in your history of the United States. Where we became in trouble here. This is what happens, church. This is what happens all the time. You know, the prohibition how we have voted like no more bars, no more alcohol and stuff. As soon as we legislate legality over the spirit of God's work, that's when trouble starts. Seriously. If we just let God do his work, we don't have to worry about that stuff. All right, we'll leave that alone because we're not talking about prohibition today. I just want you to know that God is good to his word and God woke up our nation in our history and people repented and they came to Christ. Now, I'm not telling you that everything in our history is good and we've all been Christians forever. I'm not stupid. I know history. We have to look at what God was doing and what God wants to do today. But I want you to know, church, that our nation stands in the perils of God's judgment today because we have rejected Him and He has done great things here. 
And so Jesus is saying, look, I want you to know that I have done things, and because I've done those things, you should have repented. And because you didn't, I will bring judgment. Well, not all depressing today, so don't get nervous. So in the middle of this proclamation of Christ, which is a pretty heavy proclamation, when Jesus says, woe to you, you're in trouble. I want you to see this word now. When We're going to read verse 24. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off in judgment day. The very next verse is pretty crazy. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. So right in the middle of his message, his proclamation of judgment, Jesus stops and he prays. But listen to this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So in the middle of this judgment, Jesus does this like little glimpse prayer. And as we look at that prayer and stuff, I, I want to just, look, there's something we need to learn. We talked a little bit about prayer last week, and I want to just insert it here. It's not the main point. But we've overcomplicated prayer a lot of times. And we, we think we have to make certain declarations and say certain words in certain ways, and we need to talk a long time to God. Jesus just showed us in a prayer of like two sentences long. That's what he prayed. Okay? Right in the middle of everything. It's a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the midst of his proclamation of judgment, saying, man, those people thought they were so smart and had it all figured out. Now listen to me. Remember this. What Jesus is pronouncing judgment against is those people rejected him, but they rejected him because they thought they knew who the Messiah would be and he didn't fit their standard. (laughs) So when you put that together and you think what they thought, they were so smart that they had it all figured out. And if you didn't measure up to what they had figured out, you couldn't be it. And here he was. The very Messiah they were looking for, had read about, had taught about, and they rejected him. Okay, now then, this prayer of praise and thanksgiving is about those who have responded to the truth. See that? He's pronouncing curse against those who rejected it, but he's praising God for all who have accepted it. The bottom line of everything is this, church. The main thing and the most important thing is our response to Jesus. All the other stuff is irrelevant. It is. Whether or not these are the end times or not is truly irrelevant. Seriously. In eternity, it won't matter what you have thought about the prophetic end times or what your calendar looked like, or your spreadsheet of all the events of time, and how it will happen in the end. None of that will matter. The only thing that's going to matter is if you've accepted or rejected Jesus Christ. Therefore, if we make that our highest priority, church, is Jesus, 
and make him the highest priority with those people that we know and love, we're doing the right thing. And whether this is the last days or not, I don't know, and I really don't care, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I do know this. I am now one day closer to meeting God face to face than I was yesterday. I am. And there will be an end times, and there will be an antichrist, there will be a beast, there will be a 666, there will be all of that stuff. Listen, I mean this very respectfully, I don't care. The reason why Revelation was written was to celebrate the triumphant Jesus, not to scare the church. We're supposed to be celebrating that our God wins. I'm tired of the fear stuff. I'm tired of the churches promoting fear in people. You need to fear God, not stuff. You need to fear Him, for you will give account to Him. We don't have to fear government. We don't have to fear vaccinations. We don't have to fear any of that stuff. That doesn't mean you have to do it either. I'm just saying. We trust God. He wins. Whoever wins this election. And yes, I have a choice. And yes, I'm praying desperately. Okay. But whoever wins won't matter in eternity. (laughs) Seriously church we've we've lost the focus off of jesus the enemy doesn't care what you focus on as long as it's not jesus <laughs> covid19 is irrelevant do you trust god i'm not saying be stupid all right i'm not saying that at all but do you trust him if you trust him and embrace him stay home if you need to stay home that's fine i'm not saying you all need to be here and everybody hugging everybody It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, do you trust God with your life and do you believe he has you in his hands? If he does, then I trust him with my life and my death. And death is coming. Whether I'm a believer or not, I'm going to die. So are you. Our only exit is if Jesus comes and takes us out of here. All right? So I've given him my calendar and like, look, I should be able to stay healthy and strong till I'm 75 and then it'd be cool if you come back. (laughs) (laughs) all right right. i don't know how old you are but i don't want you to pray that if you're older than me okay (laughs) like can't we trust him or what seriously i'm looking at his word i'm like man god we are like the church is so caught up in stuff instead of jesus it's ridiculous no wonder there's no repentance in our culture they don't even know they're supposed to repent they they think they're supposed to pick a side Okay, life matters. It's a gift. I am not making fun of it, and I'm not saying just waste it and just float through. You're not supposed to go hook hook up on a hammock and just sit there and say, hey, God, work it out. He expects us to do stuff, so I'm I'm not saying like God's telling us just check out. He's not, but he is saying I've got you. See, life offers, uh, life offers challenges for believers and non-believers alike. I mean, we've all been through some stuff, and we're all getting tired of it. I know that, okay? I am just like you. I'm a human being, and I'm sick of all of it. Just like, just all of it. Ready for it to be over with. But just because I'm sick of it and want it over with, I don't see anything changing still. (laughs) I know if they'd listen to me, everything would be okay. (laughs) But they don't. (laughs) 
right? So as I look at this, I'm looking at what Jesus is telling me. And this is what he has to say to all of us that are just tired of it. In the middle of this judgment, in the middle of this thanks for embracing God, Jesus does something else. Right after his prayer, he makes a proclamation. Right here, in the middle of this, to believers and non-believers alike. This is the very next verse. You ready? Then Jesus said, come to me. All of you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I just feel like a little bit of a breather right there. It's just like, because see, if everybody did listen to me, it'd probably be pretty tough and harsh. Because sometimes I can tend to be that way just like, because I know I'm right. (laughs) I'm not saying that arrogantly. You know what I'm saying? From yourself, you're just like, deal with it. Come on, that's black and white. Get over here and do it. There's no humbleness or gentleness in that. It's like, just get over here and do what I say. Jesus is like, please let me teach you. Let me help you. Because I'm gentle. I'm tender. I know exactly what you need because I know how you're wired. I want to help you in the midst of all this. See, so when things get tough, we can become weary and burdened. We can become overwhelmed. And when we're overwhelmed and heavy burdened, we become vulnerable. I have a lot of pastoral friends, and I've had some throughout my past who failed. They failed morally. Breaks my heart. But listen, I want you to know that no one walks out and does something blatantly stupid when they're healthy. They do those things because they're vulnerable, because the foundations of their spiritual life have already begun eroding. And they have begun to do things on their own and in their own strength and not relying on the Spirit of God. No one being led by the Spirit, relying on the Spirit, is going to go out and have an affair, take money, do anything inappropriate. I'm just telling you, it can't happen. What happens is we do that kind of thing in brokenness, and that happens in everyone, not just the pastors I'm talking about. Is Things that, that break us and things that destroy us are when we're vulnerable. Okay. So Jesus is telling us that life is going to get hard, and when life is hard, you become vulnerable. So he invites us, stop trying to do it alone. Stop trying to navigate all that stuff in your own strength because you're going to break. See, what I love about this is Jesus said, all of you, come. (laughs) I want you to know today, all of us, if you're worn down from life, the challenges you're facing, Jesus says, come to me, all of you. Come to him. You need rest, and he will provide it. Even when the load is still present. He didn't say, I'm going to remove your load. Do you know that? You're going to still have to live life. You're going to still face challenges. But he said, I will help you. I'll teach you. I'll guide you. I'll make it light. So we know this, and I'm not going to get way off on this uh, yoke thing. Um, You know, but it's like the ox. You've seen the 
people have them hanging in their houses, decorations and farm areas and stuff like that. Um, but he's given a real life example. Jesus taught people in their real life realities, right? And so those people he was talking to had either plowed with oxen or they've seen people right outside the city plowing the fields with a team of oxen. So I don't know a lot about ox. I can read them and uh, read about them, the oxen and stuff and all they do. But I do like horses and I, uh, I like what they do. And they're also a beast of burden that God gave us. So I had a couple pictures for you to show you something about this and what Jesus is talking about because it's so cool. The oxen are the very same way as the horses, but I know horses better. So a draft horse is the kind of horses that work. They were built for work. They're giant, right? So you, you know them from the Budweiser carriage and the, the, you know, whatever those are right now just went out of my mind. But Clydesdales are a member of the draft family, but they're not the only draft horse, even though we see them that way. And actually, they're not the biggest and the strongest. They're actually the Belgian is. So this is a picture of a Belgian, and she is actually uh, the world record holder at this time. And it's a mare. And she is, like, here's what I want to say. There's lots of different pulls, so if you look it up, you're going to find different weights and different stuff because what this is is a dead pull. There's no wheels. They have to move the weight all on their own and get it moving. But if it's not, and it's on a cart or something, a single draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. So, you know, that's incredible. So when you hook a couple of them up, you're like, well, they can pull 16,000 pounds. That's amazing. No, but actually, two draft horses can pull 24,000 pounds. So just stop and let that sink in. If one pulls eight, two can pull 24,000. That does not make sense. That doesn't work up here. Jesus is teaching us something, church. Jesus is teaching us something. On your own, you can only do so much. Hook up with me, and trust me, we'll do great things. Yeah, it's amazing. Isn't that incredible? You look at that picture, isn't that amazing? You're like, what in the world? That doesn't even make sense to me that they can do that. Well, let's go one step further. Because you see, when a couple of draft horses are actually teamed up and they regularly work together, they can pull 32,000. Man, it just blows my mind. I'm like, God, that is so cool. I got goosebumps right now. I don't know what y'all call it. That's what we call it in Michigan. It's goosebumps, whatever you call it. I'm like, God, that is so amazing that when a team begins to live together and work together and they become a buddy system and they're working, that they can do that much more than just putting two strangers together. See what God's telling us something. Jesus has given an invitation. He said, come to me, all of you. You're all worn out. You can't handle it. I've got something I can do for you. If you just come to me, I will take you through everything you have to face. And believe me, you can handle way more than you think you can because I got it. Isn't that awesome? Why are you trying to do it alone? (laughs) I'm not telling you all doing it alone, but why are you trying to do it alone? Why is it that we think that as Christians, I'm not even talking to the world. I'm talking to Christians. We think I got to do this. Or I don't deserve God's favor and and so I've got to make my way through this. Stop it! You can't! Jesus said, come to me, all of you! I have people that tell me why I don't pray for myself. I'm like, well, who is then? You better be praying for yourself. 
Come on, you need Jesus. You should be one of the first people you pray for. Ask anybody around you. All right? <laughs> See, look, if we're praying for everyone else and not myself, then who am I trying? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to do it on my own. I need him. Come to me. Dave, you need me. It's great that you pray for the church. What about you, Dave? I mean, I could tell you how many times that God has just stopped me in my tracks. Like, dude, are you done yet? <laughs> what are you doing? And every time it's like that, I'm all worn out. I'm done. See, there's no shame in admitting things are hard. There's no shame in saying, I can't handle it. I got too much. See, we've misquoted that, that text in 1 Corinthians where we say that he'll never give you more than you can handle. Listen, word, the word of God actually is talking about temptation, not the burdens of life. Okay, so don't misinterpret that. Uh, people say, well, God thinks I can handle a lot because I'm going through a lot of stuff. No, he's saying, come to me, you need me. All right, that's what he's telling us. You're not going to be overwhelmed by temptation if you stay in the spirit, but life can overwhelm you if you try and live it on your own. So there's no shame in admitting I need help. He tells us this is the way it is, and we ought to hook up with him. And if we do, he will bear the load. Okay, so the easiest way to know if you're doing it and not God or you're not letting God is this. Uh, are you feeling a little worn out? <laughs> See, Jesus said, let me teach you. So when you first hook that team up and they can only do 24,000, it's because they have to learn to work together. But as you learn what it means to allow him to lead your life, the Holy Spirit leading, God leading, God involved, you can do greater and greater things as you go forward. Okay, now listen, Jesus says, I'm humble, I'm gentle. You're going to find rest. You're not going to find brokenness. You're going to find rest. Mark chapter 6 Jesus has sent the apostles out to do some ministry work, and they come back, and they're all excited about the work that happened. Listen to what, what happens here in Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So here's our God saying, look, guys, it's getting crazy. Things are pretty heavy right now. You've been through a lot. Come over here. Let's get away from everybody. We need to spend some quality time alone in a quiet place, away from the noise of the world. This is Jesus. Remember, he said, I will teach you. I'm humble and gentle. I'm not throwing you in the fire and leaving you there. He said, you got to go through fires. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to have days where you can't even eat lunch. But he said, now, like, stop. Let's come over here and let's find some rest. Let's do this. So today, let's put this today. Things might look a little bit different in our culture and our family structure today. Many have been isolated. We still have a lot of people in this community of our church body that are staying home and isolated and things like that. And I know it's beginning to wear on them, whether they know it or not. They need to be embraced. See, the body of Christ is the family of God, and we are told specifically in Scripture to gather together. God's the one that established this. 
he built one tabernacle for his whole nation of people saying, come. The temple, come. And they began to build synagogues in various cities so that we could all gather and come. We have churches throughout our communities so that we can gather as the family of God and be together. We need each other. Social distancing was nothing God ever designed for us. I know that some of you are introverts and you're living in your glory, but you're unhealthy right there. <laughs> God, God designed us all to have human interaction, to be together. So I want to just give a word to everybody that's staying home and you've been isolated. Get with somebody that you know is healthy and give them a hug. I'm being serious. Man, when we were only gone for like eight weeks and then we started meeting together. In case somebody's still at home wondering what's going on, we have church live. All right, so back in May, we gathered together and it had been eight weeks since y'all were here. I was standing here and they had two people, James and Heather, usually back there in the tech booth as I'm preaching to just that camera and nobody was in the room. And after eight weeks, man, I was going stir crazy. You know me. I'm going to, you know, mug you if I see you just about. So, man, the first Sunday, you know, we put up those social distancing signs. I think it's safe to say this now. It was so funny because I stood over here and watched, and everybody walked in the door, and they were just like, oh, hello, and they were hugging each other, hanging on to each other, shaking hands, doing everything, right? I mean, I'm not endorsing that, in case you're wondering. Okay. <laughs> I was just watching it. So I stood over here. This is the funniest part, I want to tell you. I, I should have brought one of them signs up. We got a social distancing sign, and one of our members had his arms on it like this, leaning on it. And there were five people, like, right here. And they were having a conversation just like this, within two feet of each other, you know, all of them. They were like, we're done with this. We need each other. Hey. Alright, <laughs> so I, uh, I tried to be respectful to all of that, and I have this here to be respectful to anybody that needs me to. I cover my face and stuff for you. I love you, and I don't want to offend you, hurt you, or make you sick. Alright, but I'm just saying we need physical contact, we need the family, we need to be together. We do. We need each other. Let's look at Mark 2 for a second. I'm enough with that. Alright. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began bringing off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Okay, before I go any further, nobody was doing any harvesting, right? But legalistic, skeptical people who examine everything that you do exaggerate everything. Nobody had a wagon, and they weren't harvesting the field. They were walking by and grabbed something so they could eat it. But the legalism of the day said, you're harvesting, that's against the law. Let's watch what happens here. Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the Scriptures? So look how he goes right back at them. I want you to notice this, because these are the teachers of God's law and His Word. All of them looked at David as the, the king that God had promised to bring the Messiah through, right? So he was the, I guess I would say, the pinnacle of all their historical leaders. They always looked at David. So he uses him as an example. Jesus says, haven't you ever read the scriptures that David did when he and his companions, companions were hungry? 
He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So this is what's happened. And see, these guys, Jesus challenges them on a Sabbath. By the way, that's the seventh day of the week. It's Saturday. We know that. If you know your Bible, you also know in the New Testament they began to celebrate and uh, worship on Sunday as the first day of the week, the day that Christ resurrected the fulfillment of the covenant because the old covenant was done away with. So as we move on this and we see what Jesus is saying, he's challenging the practice of Sabbath as the leaders had even made the day of rest work. Think about it. They had made the day of rest work. That's what happens when we begin to legalize the spiritual truths God's trying to give to us. Jesus lets us know that the purpose in the Sabbath day was the needed change in the routine of life for you and I. The reason God did this was not because He was worn out from creation, but rather that He would enjoy creation. And it was a change in the normal routine of life for us. You're not built to work seven days a week or do the same thing over and over again. God did not design us this way. And Jesus is trying to give us a teaching about this. God's design is that we would break with our normal routines. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Come on, let's go someplace quiet and get some rest. Get away from that rat race. Stop the drivenness. So as we consider this, then God wants you and I today in the New Testament church to break with the routine and have a rest. He does. That's God's design. You can fight it, but you won't win. And part of the reason why we're breaking down is because our nation has ignored God's laws where we used to celebrate them. When I was a kid, and I'm not that old, Nothing was open on Sunday. If you didn't get milk or gas, you weren't drinking that, and you weren't going nowhere because everybody was off. But you see, we allowed money to become our God instead of God. And so we saw that time period as another way to make money. And so work just continues seven days a week, 24 hours a day. God says, you need a break. You've got to change that routine. You need rest. Church, as Jesus invites us into this relationship with him so that we can know God and experience life to the full, he's saying, come to me, I want to teach you, I'm gentle, I want to help you so that you'll learn how to live life the right way, God's way. Not mine and your way, God's way. Not the church's way, God's way. I mean that in a good and healthy way. Church, we we need to embrace what God's Word teaches us about life. We've read these verses over and over again. Philippians 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord, and I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. He is. Don't worry about anything. 
Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Do you see that? We have an invitation to actually pray about me. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He's done. Can we just pause here before I read any more and just have a moment of prayer just like that? Can't we just stop and say, God, you know, this is what I need. And God, as I thank you for what you will provide, I thank you for all that you have already provided. Thank you. Come on, I want you to pray to him right now, seriously. Let's pray. Thank you, God. You're an amazing provider. Thank you. Can you thank him for everything he's done? Just thank him. Man, if you're breathing air today, you're present with us, you're hearing God's word, man, you have stuff to be thankful for. (sighs) Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Check out verse 7. This is God's response to us. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. See, a little while ago, I was like, the math doesn't add up. One is 8,000, two is 24, team's 32. That doesn't work. So when I look at what God's word said, he said, look, I want you to know God will exceed anything you can understand when you do it his way. When you bring your stuff to him, as he said, come to me, bring it. Bring it, he can handle it. He can handle all your brokenness, all your screwed upness, all your mistakes, everything you've ever done wrong, even this very morning. He says, bring it. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Here's your action steps. You're welcome. We're almost done, and we're done early this week, but I'm not done yet. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you need to today. The invitation is from Christ. He is saying himself, come to me, all of you. I don't care what you've done, how many times you've done it, what you've screwed up in your life. He can handle it. Don't think you're too bad that he can't forgive you. Trust me, he can forgive you. God's forgiven a lot more screwed up people than you are. Don't think that high of yourself. If life is wearing you down or you feel you must keep it on the grind, you're doing it alone and you're not going to last. Seriously. If you drug yourself in here, if you're dragging yourself and watching online, if you're just kind of dragging your way, I want you to know they're going to crash. You can't do it on your own. You're not going to last. Jesus, come to me. Let me lead, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. My burden's light. Doesn't mean you're not going to work. It's just you're not going to have to work near as hard. He's going to carry the load with you. Come on, man. You've got to live life anyway. Why not live it with him? Amen. He's amazing. You're struggling with whatever you're dealing with. Jesus says, come to me. So why don't we do that? Would you stand with us? The altar's open. Why don't you come to him today? Lay your burdens at the altar. Come lay them down, whatever it is. Whatever you're dragging along. 
Whatever you've been trying to do in your own flesh and your own strength, bring it. Lay it down. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy, my burden is light. Father, we want to team up with you. Lord Jesus, we hear you calling to us, come to me. We already know we can't do it on our own. Everybody in our recovery system knows that the first thing we have to do is we realize we can't do it on our own. Until we face that fact, we're not going to get clean, we're not going to live right. And that is the same way for us believers, exactly the same. Until we realize we can't do it on our own, we can confess that to you and just come. We'll never make it. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, as you call and you invite, that we respond at every level today, God. Every level. God, we give it to you today. We give you glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is so amazing, isn't he? Hey, just stay. If you need to pray, you want to come and join him, you can. You can exit out here. If you have kids at a kids' XP, you need to go downstairs and get those kids. Don't leave them. Thanks for being here, and God bless you.